Welcome to Close the Door and Come Here, a Game of Thrones and a Song of Ice and Fire podcast with heavy leanings towards our two favorite characters, Jamie and Brienne. Man, there was a bear bear, all black and brown and covered in hair. Okay, so tonight I have joining me, YD. Hi everyone, this is YD and you can find me at Yellow Delaney on Tumblr. And Chicky. Hi, this is Chicky. I am Chickren on Tumblr. She's back. I'm so hey. back. I'm so back, dude. <laughs> and Eon. Eon. Hey, this is Eon and, and you can find me at Eon Blue Negative on Tumblr. And Clotho. We have Clotho. This is Clotho, and you can find me at Clotho Spindle on Tumblr. And I'm Lot, Lady of Tarth hyphen posts on Tumblr. Okay, so um, before we go into the chapters, um, this is just your general spoiler warning. We will spoil all the things. Um, we're covering A Feast for Crows, Jamie 2, and Brienne 4. Oh, and rape warning, dude. Definitely. Yet again, warning. trigger warning for rape. Yeah, yeah. I was going to do that because it's. I don't think there's any rape stuff in Jamie's chapter that I recall. Uh, little. No, uh, it just uh, just a lot in Brienne's. Yeah, I was going to do that when we got to hers, but thanks for doing my job for me. <laughs> I assume people want to check out early, but oh. yes, we can wait and do it later. <laughs> yeah, I think there was mention of like Rayla, something about that. I mean, it wasn't. That's true. Uh, and Jamie. Oh, you're right. There is rape in this chapter. God damn, Game of Thrones. There's rape in every chapter, Lot. There's rape in every chapter. Every episode of this podcast is going to have some rape in it. It's just the way that it's been going. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So let's start with you. Unfortunately, we're not excited about it. No, not at all. No, just kidding. No, I'm not. (laughs) That was bad. I'm probably going to cut that out. She's so gonna cut that. (laughs) Probably won't. I don't give a fuck. Okay, let's start with Um, Lord Tywin is heading out of King's Landing. Well, his corpse is anyway. Um, They're going to the God's Gate, which is a choice that Jamie feels uh, is wrong. Um, I'm assuming this was Cersei's decision that he's going out the God's Gate. Oh, who even knows? (laughs) It's probably in Tywin's uh, will. Yeah, that sounds like her move, Please though. let me exit the city like the god I am. <laughs> okay, uh, it's quite a funeral procession. Um, it's got 50 knights wearing a cloak of crimson each, 100 crossbowsmen, and 300 men-at-arms. It's There's this great line about um, Jamie being in his white cloak and how he felt so out of place amongst that river of red. So <laughs> Jamie rides up speak with his uncle and it's not what you would call a friendly or a comforting conversation um he kind of gets the treatment that he gets from everybody um they he at one point says balan swan is a good and valiant knight and kevin replies once that went without saying um oh yeah (laughs) white cloak so a little dig at jamie um, Jamie thinks to reply that if the Kingsguard can be great, it, it can be great again if he's allowed to choose his men, but thinks it's pointless um, knowing everyone thinks he has shit for honor anyway. And said yeah. yes. I love that this is just Jamie's ongoing struggle. The fact that it it falls to him to put the Kingsguard back together, and he is like the least honorable person in the entire kingdom. <laughs> right. Yeah. And he's stuck with these losers that his sister put on. Right. Um, except Balan Swan. You guys know I love a little bit of Balan Swan. Yeah. yeah, he's a good guy. 
instead, he asks Kevin to make peace with Cersei. Um, he says, strife between the Lannisters will only help their enemies. And I gotta agree with him. <laughs> Boy, is that ever true? Um, Kevin tells Jamie he wants to be left in peace, that the realm is Cersei's, and he's going home. He wants to put his lands back in order and see Lancel wed. Jamie looks at Lancel at this point, and he thinks how hollow and dark his eyes look. His hair is white. And then he thinks again of Tyrion's accusations that Cersei slept with uh, Lancel. Yeah, it's funny that Jamie can't figure out that Tyrion means that Cersei was sleeping with Lancel before he was injured and, and aged 60 years or whatever it is that happened to him. <laughs> right? Like, you know, the Blackwater, yeah. But then again, maybe he never paid much attention to Lancel. <laughs> this very well could be, yeah. I think, I, think, I think Lancel's not really much on Jamie's radar until Tyrion says what he says. <laughs> I, th- I think Jamie more says, uh, I can't believe she'd sleep with such a pious fool, so it's more personality-related than appearance. I that think. too, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's just not very desirable on all counts. Look personality. <laughs> Let's face it, the reason he looks like that now is because he was sleeping with Cersei. Yeah. That happened to everyone. Uh, didn't Cersei at one point say that he looked like a pale version of Jamie, like, you know, his washed out? Did she say that or am I imagining that? Went at him in the right light. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. She might say that. She might I don't know. It's I know Tyrion thinks that. Tyrion thinks oh, okay. that. Okay, maybe that's what it was. It out. He's like, oh, I get it. He's a little bit like Jamie. He's a pale Yeah, that might have been it. When, yeah, that, that when I'm been. really drunk and close my eyes, he kind yeah. of looks like Jamie. That's there you go. <laughs> yeah, yeah, basically, kind of like that, yeah. <laughs> so the conversation with Kevin turns to Sander Clegane, who is rumored to be savagely raiding along the Trident. Jamie tells Kevin Randall Tarley is at Maiden Pool and to let him deal with it, that he should go deal with Run- River Run instead. He replies, Sir Davin has command there as Warden of the West, and Lancel meets him. Jamie tells him, You would do well to keep your knights around you. Kevin asks him if that's a threat. The remark takes Jamie aback a bit. So Kevin tells him he's no fool. He's not going to face Clegane and Dundarian alone. He also tells Jamie Cersei knows his terms. If she wants him to be hand, tell her the next time you are in her bedchambers. Then he gallops away. <laughs> it's like, burn. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Kevin, Kevin clearly knows about Jamie and Cersei, which Cersei yeah. pretty much sussed out in her last interaction with him and it's pretty well confirmed here and i think jamie starts to worry that uh perhaps cersei might have have him killed because he knows yeah Yeah. he does have the thought yeah Yeah. like the whole whole thing over the hand is really what's put kevin in an entirely bad foul mood right now because apparently Mm -hmm. kevin and cersei had like this huge argument because Mm -hmm. Cersei wants Kevin to be the hand of the king, hand for Tommen, but he says, yeah, I'll be hand as long as you make me regent while Uh, Tommen is still a minor. And she's just like, oh, no. It wasn't just that, though. I think he he said he also wanted Cersei to return to the rock as well, which she definitely doesn't want to do. Yes. Yes, because that's what Tywin wanted Cersei to do, and he Mm. was going to follow with Tywin's wishes. Yes. Yeah, Kevin Kevin very much wants to continue what Tywin wanted to do. And it's clear yeah. here um, just how much Kevin was privy to everything that Tywin was doing. I mean, you kind of get a hint of that. You start to get a hint of that in Clash and, and, in, and in Storm of Swords. And here you really know um, that Tywin is in, or that t- Kevin was in Tywin's inner circle to the point where he was probably his closest confidant. 
And I think we need to point out that when Cersei and uh, Kevin have this conversation, Cersei uh, closes the conversation by throwing her wine in his face. Oh. As she is apt to do. As she is apt to do. She's so like like 1980s nighttime soaps. (laughs) I kind of love it. Tonight on a very special dynasty. Right? I was going to say dynasty, but I didn't think anyone would get the reference. Dude, come on. Yeah. Uh, So anyway, um, Jamie's kind of piecing together that Kevin um, is thinking that Jamie is there threatening him on behalf of Cersei and that she wants to send him to the salt pans and hoping he'll die. So, do you think there's any merit to this? Do you think Cersei is trying to kill Kevin? No, sure. I don't. I don't. I don't I'm think sure she is. She... I, yeah, I, I think she feels threatened by him, but I don't think she's even gone as far as to think to eliminate the threat. <laughs> I was yeah. just about to say, I'm sure is, that she wouldn't. I'm sure that she wouldn't actually care if it happened. I don't think she's yeah, yeah, specifically yeah. plotting. Yeah. Is that yeah, what you're going to? I don't gonna... think she's plotting. I don't think she's plotting, but if anything happened to Kevin, I don't think it really hurt her feelings. Yeah, she'd just be like, oh, well. Uh, Yeah, I feel like Jamie with Cleo's. Another non-listener. Whatevs. (laughs) 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 So, uh, anyway. Lancel and his two septons ride past Jamie. Jamie strikes up conversation, congratulating him on his wedding. Mentions it's the lady's second wedding and that she'll show him where everything goes. (laughs) <laughs> I love how Jamie, who is like supposed to be celibate and presumably a virgin, like <laughs> says all this sex yeah. shit <laughs> to Lancel. I know. He doesn't care. Anymore. Right? And he, <laughs> not only that, but he's like eliciting laughter from the men around oh, him. Oh, yeah. So. And it's, it's so obvious. It's so obvious he's doing that to try to, you know, figure out if something went on between him and, you know, Lancel and yeah. Cersei. Yeah, he's trying to startle a reaction out of him with regards <laughs> to sex. <laughs> Uh, Lancel replies, I know enough to do my duty as a husband, sir. And uh, Jamie says, just what a bride wants, a husband who knows his how to do his duty. Lancel says, <laughs> <laughs> nice little dig again. Lancel says he'll pray for both him and Cersei. May the crone lead her and the warrior protect her. Jamie turns his horse with a reply, she has me to protect her. Mm. Huff, huff, huff. Uh, Jamie second guesses Tyrion's accusations after this exchange, thinks Lancel is a pious fool, and she'd rather have Robert's corpse between her legs. Oh, God! (laughs) (laughs) What lovely imagery he paints. Uh Just the levels of denial. The levels of denial he's going to (laughs) his brain. Uh, So when Jamie rides back through the streets of King's Landing, the streets almost seem deserted. The Tyrells had left, Olana and Marjorie included. Mace is heading to Storm's End. uh, And then there are 2,000 Lannister soldiers waiting um, around the walls, ready to head to Dragonstone. Yeah, things things have really changed post-Tom and Marjorie marriage. It's very clear um, that there's been a shift. That's a lot of what this chapter is about, is, is that shift and that slight power vacuum that Cersei's trying to to fill. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's it's really interesting. Jamie pretty much fills um, a lot of story he just fills a lot of story holes basically with this chapter. <laughs> it's kind of it's not filler, but he's he's serving a lot of stuff but not himself. And in this right. yeah, we're we're hearing a lot about what's going on with everyone but Jamie basically. <laughs> <laughs> he's um, a good pair of eyes. <laughs> he's observing everything. 
Anyway, um, the rest of the Westermen are heading back home to rebuild and get one more harvest in. Before they had left, um, Cersei had taken Tillman out to make the rounds in their camps. Jamie thought how she had never looked so beautiful and how she could make men love her when she cared enough to try. Isn't that such a cynical thing for Jamie to think as well? He's really, uh, I don't know, I think his perceptions on Cersei, I think we've discussed this before, they really are changing, um, despite the fact that he can't really bring himself to believe that she's been cheating on him. It's certainly niggling at him. Absolutely. Baby steps. Yeah, niggling at him. Yeah, it's like a lot of back and forth with him and um, with his thinking on Cersei. Like, he definitely seems conflicted about her for the first time ever, thank God. And (laughs) even though he's conflicted, he's still, he's always with this mantra of, like, she's so beautiful ever. I'm probably since the start of the series, like, every single time he thinks of her, it's physical, it's beauty, it's beautiful. You know, it's, it's, yeah, it's just what he does, you know. And I don't know, you know, I'm trying to think if he stops at any point, but he continues to do it. But even though he's starting to have other opinions as well into that, it's still she's beautiful and this, this, you know, it's. Yeah, he's such a dork. Anyway. (laughs) (laughs) Jamie stops to watch um, a dozen men riding at a Quinton. Now, I looked it up because I didn't know what the hell a Quinton was. I Me did too. I, I forgot. Hooray for ignorance. <laughs> I knew at one point when I went to the Renaissance Festival. <laughs> okay, so who wants to explain what a Quinton is? Because I'm sure there's listeners who don't know what the hell it is either. <laughs> that little spinny sandbag on the, <laughs> <laughs> on the top of our hall. for jousting. Jousting, Target yeah. for jousting. That's right. <laughs> I like Clothos description better. <laughs> the little <laughs> spinny sandbag for chopstick. Oh, Perfect. Oh, okay. That's 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 legitimate dictionary definition. <laughs> so he observes a few of the men riding against the Quinton um, with varying degrees of success. Sir Loris puts them all to shame. Jamie thinks maybe it wasn't such luck that Loris unhorsed him, and how it's a shame he wouldn't get a second go at him. He leaves and uh, heads to Cersei's solar. She's there with Tommen, Lord Merryweather, Dark's, Lord Merryweather's dark-haired mirish wife, and Pycelle. Um, I just want to go back a bit um, with the Quinton and the men riding at, um, practicing at the joust. It, it was kind of this sad... I just felt so bad for Jamie when he was thinking about yeah, how... It was, it was sort of, you get this real sense of, I guess... Not even nostalgia, but you're right, just a real sadness that he no longer has the ability to actually participate in any of this stuff that he was really, really good at that made him who he was. And it is a very sort of sad lament of Jamie's. Yeah. It's funny to me how this comes after he has like a really dude bro exchange with Lancel, you know, making fun of him about his yeah. wedding night and everything. Yeah. And then he, yeah. he comes to this and kind it, of athletic competition and it's something he can't do anymore. And, and it is, yeah, it is a really, you know, just a kind of a revisiting of the fact that he is. Mm-hmm. And there is a, a line in there. There's a line in there that says, Jamie, um, I think it's something like he's leaving the men to their sport, which is, you know, oh, no longer a real man, no longer a knight. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I made a note that, I mean, it was interesting because this is, you know, he's slowly starting to admit things, you know, because he admits that Loris, you know, maybe that Loris unhorsed him because he might have been better. He might have had some sheer skill, you know, when he's looking at him riding the horse. 
And that's sort of a more mature and honest view of himself than we've seen, you know, so far, you know, what we've been given. So it's kind of interesting. You see this slowly unwrapping, you know, where he's starting yeah, to look at himself. Jamie's really coming to terms slowly, I guess, with the fact that he's no longer the man he used to be and he's accepting that he's never going to be that brilliant golden swordsman again. Yeah, that's just perfectly summed up, guys. I like that. Anyway, oh, so he's in Cersei's solar. Um, Cersei's clearly been drinking again. <laughs> yay! <laughs> yay! <laughs> Whose who, who face is she going to throw her wine in this time? Let's find oh, out. That's- <laughs> <laughs> so Jamie dislikes the drinking and thinks how he seems to mislike everything Cersei's been up to lately. Um, Cersei asks Pycelle to tell him the news. They've just... Sh- um, gotten about a certain baby born to Lawless and Braun. Mm. Cersei had forbade them to name the baby Tywin, and they went ahead and gave him another. And Jamie guesses correctly, Tyrion. <laughs> I love that Jamie just kills their joke. Like they're so excited to tell him this <laughs> joke, and he just kills it. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Downer. But the best is that he laughs about it. Oh, I know. <laughs> Like, he, uh, like I don't know. I really love that bit. That that's how that's his actually, reaction. Line, the line is good too. He said when he laughs, he said, "There you are, sweet sister. You've been looking everywhere for Tyrion, and all the time he's been hiding in Lollis's yes. room." That was fantastic. <laughs> I love that. And then Tommen, Tommen wants to send oh. the gift of a kitten to Lollis, baby. I know. <laughs> Uh, and then that bitch lady Mary Weathers, like, how about a lion cub? <laughs> what a cunt. And then uh, Cersei says she had another gift in mind. And Jamie recognizes the look on his sister's face and how she had that same look when she watched the Tower of the Hand burn. She watched it burn with tears in her eyes. Uh, happy, happy tears. Yeah, happy tears. <laughs> Cersei had reminded him of Ares that night, in fact, he thinks. Um, we get a memory of Jamie standing guard outside Queen Rayla's bedchamber at this point, and at the moment he was on guard with John Derry. And after some time of hearing Ares uh, abusing his queen, he speaks up and says, we are sworn to protect her as well. Uh, Derry replies, but not from him. Jamie only saw Queen Rayla once after that. She was cloaked. But he had heard the whispers of her maids. She looked as though she had been attacked by a beast. Um, so I don't know. This this moment was really poignant because it's like another moment when we see Jamie being the sole voice of reason in a really horrible situation. Yeah, I mean, imagine young and still idealistic Jamie. You know, going, "This isn't right. What we're hearing, we should stop it." You know, I mean. When he was young, he still kind of held to those ideals of a knight. And, you know, his brothers of the Kingsguard were constantly shooting him down with it. And we see an instance of that when he's listening to Rayella essentially be raped and, and beaten or something attacked, basically, by Eris. And he can't do anything. It's it's terrible. And it's a really good example of what helped to form Jamie and his views on the world, his views on the treatment of women, everything. I mean, you, you can just see that this is some of his, you know, formamentus right here. Um going forward, which just makes it more of a crime what happened on the show, but, you know, we won't yeah. get into that so much. Oh, oh really? We won't? Damn. <laughs> I think we've beaten that horse to death. <laughs> I don't know. Wait, did you Pretty say glad. die horse? Don't say horse. Oh, no. Don't say the horse. <laughs> Guys, I have some things to say. <laughs> 
Okay, so uh, King Ares's madness grew to the point where he trusted no blade in his presence, but that of his king's guard. His beard went matted and unwashed. His fingernails grew to be nine inches long. Um, there's a, a line where King wow. Eris says, let him be kings over charred bones and cooked meat. Jamie remembered, let him be the king of ashes. So yeah. here he's talking about um, Robert when Robert was, or was it Tywin at the gates? Who is he talking about here? Well, oh, the line that you said. He means Robert when he says, let him be king over charred bones and cook okay. meat. I don't know if they knew for sure that Robert wasn't right behind Tywin and Ned. Yeah, that's what I thought. I thought it was a reference to Robert as well. It's a reference to Robert, yeah. Yeah, okay. Um, <clears throat> so uh, after his musings, he asks Cersei's for a word. Um, Tommen, Pycelle, and Lady Mary Weather leave. Jamie checks out her seductive hips as she goes. So is hey, this- Tan is hot. Right? We all she's acknowledge hot. this. Yeah, she's, she's hot. Oh, yeah. She's super hot. Yeah. So my question is, though, is this the first time we see Jamie checking out another woman? No. God, no. You, Not what, the first? what about Brienne? I mean, okay, hold up. <laughs> hold up. There's Pia. Because I'm Pia. pretty sure that and Jamie... Pia. Yeah, and Pia. I'm pretty sure Jamie constantly checks Brienne out. Do you, you know, <laughs> think that he likes Brienne like that? <laughs> Sorry, I had to. <laughs> And I kind of got it as him not so much checking her out or maybe commenting on the fact that, like, she's using, you know, just the way she was walking. You know, I don't know. She actually actually does share similarities to Cersei in that way. They both try to use their sexuality to manipulate I sort of got that was what he was getting at rather than like saying, ooh, she has a nice ass, but I don't know. You know, I don't know. Well, you know, I think it's both. <laughs> okay. Um Cersei answers back. Oh wait, okay, wait. Um well he, he asks he does tell Cersei that he thinks the woman is a spy and he's like, "You know that, right?" And she answers back, "Of course she is. She's been feeding me lies and truths and getting information on Marjorie in return." She knows Tana Merryweather is a woman with a young son who wants to bring him up higher in the world and Cersei's claim um can do more for him than Marjorie can. And Tana knows this. She tells Jamie that Tana has been sharing all kinds of interesting things. And we get this, like, I really like this little side story that Olana Tyrell pays tradesmen in oh, yeah. points oh, the of the standard gold dragon. God damn okay. it, I love Olana so much. <laughs> We're finding out how the Tyrells got to be so wealthy. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> wouldn't like her so much if you were a tradesman, okay? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. Sorry to all the tradesmen of Westeros. No, I mean, <laughs> look, there's no doubt that Elena is, you know, an amoral character. She's just so much fun Absolutely. to read about. <laughs> exactly. She's fun. <laughs> so uh, J- Jamie tells Cersei she could use Kevin. Cersei claims he's an old, done man. Ruth and his bastard son will take care of the North. Jamie asks who she intends to make the hand, and she's like, not you. <laughs> <laughs> She had been contemplating Tana's husband, that was his, um, his grandfather had served his hand under Ares, Jamie thinks, pretty ineffectively at that. Jamie reminds her the man was exiled and his lands were seized by Ares. She says Tana, Tana would be, um, most pleased if her husband Orin could recover the rest of the lands that were not given back during Robert's reign. And, um, Jamie responds, is that about, is this about pleasing some mirish whore or governing the realm? 
And then she reminds him, I govern the realm. I love it when Jamie is forced to think about politics. <laughs> you can, yeah, I, you can I, always I like kind of feel the reluctance, but he's doing it because he knows he has to. And he's good I like at that it. Too, and I, well, that's the thing. He it, This chapter really does show the vast difference between Jamie and Cersei when it comes to when it comes to politics and when it when it comes to logic. Um, you know, Cersei just wants power. She just wants to rule the realm. She doesn't care how it comes about. And Jamie's telling her, hang on, slow down. What you need is a strong hand. You need someone who knows what they're doing to advise you. And she's saying, I'm a strong ruler. I don't need someone to advise me. So, yeah, it really just displays how Jamie does kind of know what he's doing when it comes to politics. He has some really good ideas. And it's very, very different to the way his sister um, thinks about politics. And it's fascinating to think about how long this has been going, you know, does, had he always, was he always thinking these things and just kind of kept them repressed to kind of go along being, you know, Cersei's yes person or was he ever, you know, you get the sense that he's questioning her now and it's starting to irritate her, but I just wonder about that. Like, to what extent did he ever question anything she said? You know, he ever did. I really don't. I don't know. I think part of it is that he just didn't care. And she didn't have the level of power before that she has now. So she she couldn't do the things that she's doing now. I think, I think, you know, in a way, Jamie always had Cersei's number. What he didn't understand about her was that she was manipulating him as well as everyone else. Mm -hmm. So I mean, I don't think think it's news to him that she's, she's trying to play these games and failing at, I think he's seen her do this before. He's just, I mean, sort of he's just sliding just, along, and yeah, and well, now she has the, she has the power to actually do some real damage now, and so Absolutely. you know, Jamie Absolutely. can't ignore that. Yeah. yeah, I like too how ID said you really see the difference between Cersei and Jamie here because yeah. what does Cersei do all day but try to think politics? And, and even, for a while, you know, and even with the amount of time she dedicates oh. to thinking politically, she's still shit at it. <laughs> yeah. well, the problem well, is she's really clouded by the fact that all she wants is power. That's all she yeah. wants. That's driving force. Um, and to be honest, yeah, I don't think Cersei is super intelligent. I don't think she's an idiot. I don't think she has the correct skill set to actually properly govern. What's the line Tyrion says about Cersei's intelligence? That she has a sly cunning? She has a low cunning, he says. Yeah, low cunning. I think, and I think part of it, you have to keep in mind, and and this is important with Jaime. Um, Jaime, Tyrion, and Cersei were all trained as Lannisters, all trained as Tywin's kids. And they all think about things in the same way. They all walk in a room and assess everyone in it and kind of assess people's motives and if you really look at their POVs, you see something of a similarity in all three of them in the way that they look at things. And you kind of have to assume that this comes from probably a little bit of genetics, but it's also upbringing. They were trained to think politically. Now, sure, Jamie doesn't like to, and he hasn't wanted to, but he does have this ability when he needs to. And, you know, the way that Cersei thinks about things, you kind of have to assume it's how she was taught to think about things. She was taught Mm -hmm. to think this way to assume that people may be scheming. It's just that she hasn't, she hasn't, taken the lessons uh, on board in a way that ac- they can actually be useful to her. She's kind of taken That's the worst part. <laughs> yeah, you've, yeah. you've actually hit the nail on the head, Chicky. It's the fact that Cersei's narcissism actually precludes her from taking other people's advice on board. So whereas Jamie, I assume, has watched and learned, we've got Cersei who really just thinks, I know the best way to do things. You can't tell me what to do. I'm going to do things the way that I want to do things. 
Yeah, and then there's the level of the madness increasing. There's a suggestion of that that it's yeah. happening. You know, we have hints of that. From well, yeah, and we have the we have Jamie, you know, full on comparing Eris and Cersei in this chapter. Yeah, yeah. 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 Oh, and then, yeah. And then she totally suggests that Lord Holland might suit. He he would not be the first pyromancer to service the king's hand. Uh, yeah, and Jamie's like, no, I killed the last one. I, yeah, I couldn't believe that she suggested that as an option, like, in front of him. She loves wildfire. She loves it. I actually have a funny story. Um, today on my lunch, I had my notes, and I was trying to think of questions for this podcast. And I was out with my sister, and I was, like, kind of just recapping what I had written. And uh, she was, like, telling me, you know, like, what's, who's Aries? And what's a pyromancer? Wait, 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 what's a pyromancer? And, she, and, like, I was trying to explain it to her. She's like, wait, stop saying pyromancer so loud. Some of us are single. <laughs> <laughs> Did you say wizards and dragons? <laughs> and daggers. <laughs> Did you say Quintin? <laughs> Quintin. Oh, it's like, oh, I forget. I'm a big nerd and not everybody oh. is. <laughs> okay, anyway, uh, we got to backtrack a bit. But you're among friends now a lot, so you're yeah. fine. I'm, I'm in my glory right now. <laughs> oh, don't, don't forget. To to sh- <laughs> it's lots time to shine, baby. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so we're going to go back a bit. And uh, so after Cersei reminds him that she governs the realm, Jamie thinks seven save us all you do. Um, <laughs> he... Uh, he compares Cersei to um, Tywin. So we've already talked a bit about this, but where Tywin was relentless and implacable is a glacier Cersei was all wildfire. Smart but impulsive, no judgment and no patience. And then uh, YD already kind of recapped this bit about her not needing a strong hand because she claims she's not a weak ruler. (laughs) He questions her choice in um, considering um, who's going to be the master of ships. Um, there's one guy in particular he doesn't like, and that's this Arrain. I like this. I like that. Strong and vigorous, she calls him. Yes. And Jamie's so jealous. Yeah, he is. <laughs> he, he suggests a Paxter red wine, um, and she doesn't like it because red wine is a Tyrell bannerman, and she doesn't want any of them around her. And uh, did, uh, didn't Cersei at one point say that Arrain, I don't know how to pronounce that right, Arrain Waters looked a lot like Rhaegar? Like, she was really hot on yes, him, if I'm remembering yes. right, when she met him. Yeah. <laughs> so he's a hottie. Yeah, strike two. <laughs> um, so uh, Jamie does tell her at um, some point that Kevin is not the enemy and neither is he. She gets upset and tells him she asked for his help, begged for it, in fact, and he refused her. He starts with, you know, well, I have these vows, and she cuts him off, um, and it did not stop you from killing Ares. He chose, you chose the white cloak um, over me. Then she tell, then she tells him to get out. I'm sick of looking at that ugly stump. Get out! And then she has her epic dynasty moment and tosses her wine at him. (laughs) It's her calling card now. I, I was going to say, I does. feel like we need to start a Cersei wine-throwing count for this podcast. <laughs> I like that idea. That's great. <laughs> uh, so uh, <clears throat> after this whole exchange, Jamie goes to the White Sword Tower. He's drinking wine and looking at the White Book. Loris uh, comes in and pours himself a glass and sits across from Jamie. Jamie tells him that he rode well today, and uh, Loris was like, better than well. Jamie makes an attempt to teach Loris the finer points of modesty. 
um, they make comment on the white book, Loris's uh, friendlies. Oh God, my writing! Sucks. Oh yeah, I love this. <laughs> this is where Loris pretty much brings up that Renly had some hot porn. Yes! We didn't like reading, but we did have a few books with some pictures. <laughs> some picture books, basically, <laughs> what he says. Uh, back, back up. <laughs> How do you pull out they liked porn out of he said he liked books with pictures? And then he says the thing about that he, um, that Renly had had histories that would make, uh, the Maesters weep or whatever. I can't remember what it was. Uh, <laughs> it was like, uh, oh. Lord Renly owned a few withdrawings that would turn a septon blind. Oh, yeah, yes. but there we have yes. it. Yep. Yeah. Porno. Yeah. My God. I <laughs> <laughs> oh, <laughs> should realize that. God, I love Loris and Renly. I love those dudes. <laughs> May he rest in peace. <laughs> Somebody oh. needs to illustrate that. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. do we know anyone, Clotho, who could do that? I was about to say, I just, I just a couple of people on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think YD's pretty happen. good. I like uh, I like YD's style. I think she should Let's do the way. Yeah. yeah, the medieval. <laughs> I, don't know how well stick, I don't know how well stick figures work with porn. <laughs> oh, it would look awesome around this, you know, around the corner. <laughs> Some stick figures cuddling up with a book. Yeah, I can see it. <laughs> giant bears that look like mice anyway have you seen have you seen illuminated manuscripts they look like that they look crazy have you seen wow. that <laughs> why, why do you start to shine <laughs> right up your alley there's not a lot of perspective in use or anything like that yeah yeah what are you, what are you suggesting chicky you, <laughs> you, you love it love That's all I'm yeah exactly <laughs> Okay, so anyway, <laughs> they grew, they go through some of the uh, men's names that are in the book. Um, the more famous one, Loris knows, like Luckamer the Lusty. He apparently had three wives and thirty children. Of course, he'd know about the Lusty guy. Yep, yep. <laughs> and <laughs> penis cut off for it. Uh, of course, <laughs> Terence Toyn. Bedit, the king's mistress, died screaming, and he says this is a line where the lesson is um, men who wear white breeches need to keep them tightly laced. Mm-hmm. Um, they get to names Loris doesn't recognize. Bastards who rose to the station of commander. Roland Darklin, the youngest to serve, besides Jamie, of course. And uh, Loris comments, well, he couldn't have been very good because he died within an hour of getting his white cloak. Um, yeah. Good enough. Most have been forgotten. The heroes. Yeah. I love that. I this love that Jamie a... does this. This is such a good yeah, Jamie I... and Loris interaction because Jamie's Jamie is you know very much you know we talk about it a lot. He's very much the sports guy, basically. You know, and and this is history of sports, and it's not just history of sports. It's history of you know the realm, history of their order. And Jamie knows all this shit. And I mean, you know, it's funny because in another chapter, Cersei kind of quizzes him about some other historical thing and Jamie has no idea about it but stuff to do with the Kingsguard Jamie knows he takes this stuff seriously and I really do love the exchange that I have because Loris is saying you know most of these guys deserve to be forgotten the heroes will always be remembered the best and Jamie replies the best and the worst Um, and a few who were a bit of both 
um, which is it really is an accurate summation of Jamie. He really is the guy that's a bit of both, I think. Although and, it's funny that he thinks about it being the worst. That he, it's because he's the worst. Yeah, that he's gonna remember yeah, it. he does. That's what yes. I'm saying. He, yeah, I think we just mentioned earlier on in the podcast about how Jamie's getting some perspective about who he is, mm. but he still is of that mindset that he is the worst. He will always be considered the worst. But you know what, Jamie? There's still time. <laughs> there's still well, time yeah, to, to, create, to create your history, and we did have. We did have that scene with him a few chapters ago in the white in the white sword tower where he said, you know, his story is now his to write. Well, yeah, because go ahead, Ian, you go ahead. Oh, well, that's why he totally brings up Kristen Cole, the kingmaker. Yeah, can you can do you know more about him? Because that was well, he yeah. Well, you go ahead. Oh well, Kristen Cole was actually the Lord Commander for the first Viserys, which was. Hundreds of years before this book, and he's actually notorious for bringing about the the dance of the dragons. But he served the first Viserys, and whenever Viserys died, uh, Viserys was actually grooming his daughter to take the crown. But uh, Kristen Cole actually placed the crown on the the stepbrother, the half brother, Aegon. The younger brother. Mm-hmm. Yes, the younger brother. He actually reinstated this older and old tradition of um, crowning the firstborn son instead of the actual firstborn. Mm. What a douchebag. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's funny that they that Jamie does talk about the kingmaker because I mean I guess Jamie himself is a is a kingmaker literally because he's made he's made Joffrey and he's made <laughs> oh. Thomas. <laughs> Although he's also serving a purpose for the story here, and he's he's actually talking about Eris Oakhart as well, who is yeah, of course, um, being convinced to become a kingmaker in Dorne at this moment. Yes, being convinced in a very interesting fashion. Yes, he is <laughs> <laughs> by Ariane. Anyway, <laughs> who who's she? No, I'm just kidding. Don't go oh, there. Who knows? Don't go there. Uh, don't go there. Don't. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Okay, let's go on to Brienne for uh, Feast for Crows. Okay, so this is where I was going to hold do my trigger warning for rape discussion and a whole lot of violence. There will be more, there will be more rape in this chapter. Yes. Okay, <clears throat> so Brienne is heading out of Maidenpool with Nimble Dick and Pod in tow. When they get to an inn, Brienne and Pod share a room. Nimble Dick shares the common bed, but tells Brienne it would be cheaper if they all, you know, shared a room. Uh, Let's snuggle. Going. Yeah, she's not going for that. <laughs> yeah, I love how feisty she is in this chapter. Especially yeah. Sorry, feisty. Yes. She's so, so fresh and fasty. <laughs> Nimble Dick um, and oh, Brienne does not trust Nimble Dick and asks Pod when they are out on the road to watch over her when she sleeps. Pod says he will kill Nimble Dick if he tries anything. I Seriously. love Pod in this chapter yes. so much. He is such oh, a no. badass. Would you really trust a man named Nimble Nimble Dick? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, the question is in what circumstance would I yeah. trust you? Like, so what is the setting? Me. Paint me a picture. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, so she tells Pod, you know, no, 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 no. Don't you try to kill him. You just wake me up. And uh, Brian's suspicions that he's not really trustworthy is, you know seeming to be true when the next day um she's taking a piss and then she hears pod call out to the man stop 
Brienne rushes out to find Nimble Dick, uh, digging through her saddlebags, and uh, he cl- he's covered in flour. I like this a bit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, let's put that in there. <laughs> he's covered in flour and claims that he was just checking to see that she had the promised coin. <laughs> Brienne thinks, oh, I hope he's a better guide than thief. <laughs> All right. Nimble Dick yeah. tries to charm Pod and Brienne by singing on their journey. Neither will join with, in with him. Brienne remembers when Catelyn asked her once if she sang for her father or Renly. Brienne didn't, but thought she would have liked to. Guys, oh, God, that's not what she so said. Hard. Oh, no, she said this. She said she had not, not ever, though she had wanted. She had wanted. And it's so oh. heartbreaking. She loved Renly so much. She wanted to sing for him. She wanted him to listen to her, to be enamored of her. And yet she's got all this self-doubt. You know, the knowledge that she was ugly and stupid and not worthy of love. And that meant that she couldn't even bring herself to try. I swear, Brynn's chapters in Feast are just one punch to the gut after the other. I know. Like, poor, sweet Brienne. I mean, imagine this, that she didn't even have the courage to even entertain the thought that she might yeah. have been a romantic interest for Renly. I mean, of course, she didn't really know that he was gay, but... I mean, it's it's so sad that <laughs> she doesn't even have the self-esteem to even think she could have tried. It's, it's, oh, yeah. God. I mean, it's right. just the worst. So do you think she could sing? Uh, I like to think so. I like to think that she and Jamie will make beautiful music together. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> so uh when not singing nimble dick um shares histories of crack claw he refuses to believe brienne never heard of sir clarence crab of whom he is a descendant brienne shares her own legends of sir galadon of morn the perfect knight a champion of valor <laughs> the maiden herself lost her heart to him giving him a sword called the just maid a sword so great it made any fight unfair It was an enchanted sword. This is important later. A magic sword. It was a magic sword, right. And it was... (laughs) He was was such a perfect knight that he only used... Drew it three times. And Nimble Dick kind of has a laugh at this and calls him a fool. What's the point of having a magic sword if you don't use it? Mm. You know, I really love, like, the parallels between Sir Galadon and Brienne in here. Mm -hmm. You have... The maiden herself gave him this enchanted sword. And then you have with Brienne, Jamie gave her Oathkeeper. Jamie, Jamie, the pretty maiden. <laughs> yes, the pretty maiden gave her this magic <laughs> sword. And it's like... He, he gave not... her a magic sword, all right? Sorry. <laughs> he did. <laughs> so Galadon would not use his sword against any mortal man. He's even fought like a dragon with this thing. But with Brienne, you see with Brienne, she hides her her oathkeeper in the bedroll mm-hmm. and the only time she unsheathes this thing is pretty much to fight men that are literally monsters yeah even when yeah. in later in this chapter whenever you read the actual words of the descriptions the metaphors that he uses for pig yeah. and timian and, and shagwell he uses monster metaphors mm-hmm. absolutely mm-hmm. And yeah, it's interesting really to me that. that she doesn't she really, uh, she really keeps Oathkeeper kind of close to her heart. She really only does bring it out in times of of great need, which I don't know. I really like. I like the fact yeah. that she's sorry. And, go ahead. Ian. Well, and she's and, smart enough to know she shouldn't wander around with it strapped around her waist. Oh, definitely. Yeah. And I think that <laughs> yeah. she's using she's using Ned Stark's Valerian steel 
for a more nobler purpose. I mean, whenever exactly. you see and see it in yeah. Game of Thrones, Ned Stark, he he's using ice to pretty much behead deserters of the wall. Mm. And with Brienne, she's actually using her sword to fight monsters. Yeah, and her, you know, her response when Nimble Dick, you know, he's he's pretty funny and he's making jokes about it, but you know, her response is honor. The point is honor, and I thought yeah. that was pretty moving to me because that's pretty much her in a nutshell. You know, everything she does is based around that. You know. Yes. Yeah. Well, we're going to get to the the sword um, usage, but also, would she have even pulled out Oathkeeper for these guys if she didn't have to hand it off to Nimble Dick? I'd like to think that she would have. I'd like to think that she, this is the sword that she would rely on in yeah. times of, of great need. I like to think that, and it, you know what, uh, you know, we maybe should put a pin on it until we get to it. But All I right. think that, yeah. Okay, yeah, go ahead, go, go move right. on. <laughs> so um, the further they travel, sleeping in an inn is no longer an option. Brienne pays some villagers to let them sleep in a barn. Pod in her sleep up top, and she, then she pulls the ladder up and leaves Nimble Dick alone below. He whines a bit about this and calls her mistrustful. Bran thinks of when she was a little girl and how she used to believe all men were as God. noble as her father. And then we get this memory of Scepter Royale. Royal, how do you say this? Roll or I've heard you guys. Roel. Roel. I say Roel. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, that's Who knows? Yeah. And how she had shown her the first hard truth about men. When men paid her compliments as a girl, she believed them until Roel told her they only did it to win favor with her father. A truth that served her well when she, when Heil and the others played their game. She thinks of the melee at Bitterbridge and how she defeated all of her suitors, including two that I know there's some speculation about. Well, I think it's, this is at Harry Sawyer and Robin Potter. <laughs> this is Eon's favorite no. part. Yeah. I love this. I really love this, but I also wanted to catch something a little bit before that. She mentions it was a harsh lesson, lesson one that left her weeping, but it had stood her in good stead at Harrenhal. At Harrenhal! Yeah, Sir and his friends. <laughs> yeah, and yeah, yeah. I was just wondering if maybe it's just her mind is totally mixing up Harrenhal. Let's with go with that. No, George's she mind. Says, you think it's George? Okay. George, yeah. Okay. You know, <laughs> I actually, since you backed up, Eon, I would love to go a tiny step further back and say I actually kind of um, think there's so much about Brienne in the sentence that, that Septa Roel says to her, which is, yeah. you'll find the truth in your looking glass, not on the tongues of men. And um, when she talks about how it was a harsh w- lesson that left her weeping, I mean, you kind of get this vision of, of a young Brienne sitting in front of a mirror and just crying at her face, basically, um, because that's what Septa Roel is trying to tell her. You're ugly. And, that, you know, this is the truth. This is what you actually look like. And, you know, people will tell you otherwise or they'll try to flatter you. But you need to remember that you're ugly and you need to carry it with you, basically. And the sad her. part is that she does. She she does. Yeah. <laughs> she never forgets yeah, it. It really is a good summation of Brienne and, and why she is really the way that she is. I mean, yeah, it's true that she is ugly. I don't think anyone can argue with that. Um, but I do wonder, with a different upbringing, I wonder what yeah. Brienne might have actually been because she's not just ugly. She is awkward. She's mistrustful. She's shy as hell. Um, and... Yeah, you really do wonder if she had had a loving upbringing, if she hadn't experienced what she'd experienced with um, Rinley's men, what would Brienne have been? 
I think yeah, so. How for physically, know? for physical, physical outliers in society, I think, mm-hmm. you know, it doesn't, eventually they come, they come across someone who tells them this. You know what I mean? I think that this comes regardless, but I, I, you know, whoever I delivers it. it. Because it came in her formative years. I, did, I mean, you, you, you know, I it assume did. the message was imparted to her over and over again over a period of years. So, I don't know. She she didn't really have much of a chance at all. And the, the saddest thing about that whole the mirror part is that she's in a sense self assessing. Like she's looking at herself, and Septuagint is basically telling her, "What do you see?" And she's saying, "I'm ugly." So it's even I don't know. Does that make sense? Even yeah. worse to me yeah. because it's like she's basically labeling herself. It's not even someone else saying it. So again, if she had had a better different, happier situation and people weren't constantly calling her ugly, would she have seen herself as ugly, you know? Yeah, I do think Chiki, I do think Chiki makes a good point, though. I think, you know, oh, I mean, not yet. She, would, she would have been released into the world and she would have faced yeah. this. Yeah, I mean, you know, kids anyway. are cool. <laughs> you're you're going to run yeah. into, I think the thing kids is, if, if you do look, yeah. if, if, you know, if you do not look like most people, if you definitely are, you know, in what people would label a freakish category, I think you get this eventually. I think she would have hit it somewhere. Yeah. It's just so awful to see what yeah. it did to it's her just, when she did. I would really like just, to know. Yeah, that it would hit so soon, yeah. You I would ahead, really like to know if, if Selwyn Tarth knew about the treatment that she was receiving from Septimus. I don't think that he did. I kind of would like to think that he didn't. I don't know. I, don't I mean, know. either He's way. Who the, the hell option. knows what's going on? I know. Going I really don't know a lot about him. The, yeah. option, the options we have about Selwyn are uh, he either knew what was going on, which makes him a total asshole. I don't yeah. think that's true. But or else- he was next. Or he was negligent to the extent that he had no idea what was going on. Which you know, and it's not even negligent. I just think in that time period they weren't very hands on. No. I mean, parents oh, well, that's true. Hands-on. Yeah. She mentions true. she mentions Sir Goodwin a hell of a lot more than her actual. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She does. But to be fair, too, there is a line where she thinks that you know when she was a little girl, she did believe that all men were as noble as her father. So she he may have been absent, but she definitely thought he was noble. Yeah. yeah. Who knows? Anyway, we're um. Can we go back to this Harry Sawyer and yes, okay, so Robin Potter? <laughs> go, go on. Okay, okay so, so check this out, okay? She had written over Harry Sawyer and broken Robin Potter's helm, giving him a nasty scar. <laughs> written over Harry and broken Potter's helm. She totally crushed Harry Potter and gave him a nasty scar. What this is, is back in 2001... Um, a Storm of Swords was actually up for this Hugo Award, and the Hugo Award is this award for science fiction and fantasy writers. And during that time, the Goblet of Fire actually beat George R. R. Martin's A Storm of Four of Swords, and J.K. Rowling didn't bother to show up to receive her award, and he was extremely critical of of her not receiving that war- award. So he wrote this. Oh my goodness! So, how did you did you figure this out on your own, or did you come across this? Because I it's awesome. Such a Reddit. Well, bit. No. Yeah, it's a pretty well known. It's a it's a good like, story. Anybody, did anybody pick up on that, or did you just read it as a thing? Like, did, are people like? Am yeah. I? You know, did you pick Not up on it when you read it? <laughs> 
sorry. I saw it on Reddit, but yeah. Okay. Like, yeah. It's been in discussion since the book came out. Yeah. Okay. That's cool, though. I, I knew know. there'd be some people out there that, though, hadn't heard this, so. I hadn't I heard it. No, I'm glad Ian brought it up. That's why I love yeah. listening to the podcast myself as a listener, because yeah. I hear things like this. Yeah, but he had one of his favorite characters beat up Harry Potter. Because, I mean, if you think about it, he could have had, like, Cersei awesome. throw Harry Potter into, like, Kyber's dungeon. That could have been a lot worse. But Not I'm... just beat him up, but give him a nasty scar. Which... Or, or even worse. <laughs> even worse. <laughs> I think Game of Thrones actually just won a Hugo, so maybe George is feeling a little better about it now. Maybe so. I think they won a Hugo probably, for one of their episodes. Probably won't, he probably won't ride a character into wins called Snape Dumbledore. Yeah. Yeah, he, was just, he said he was really happy that J.K. Rowling was widening, widening the appeal of the fantasy genre, but he was just really critical of her not showing up to actually receive that award. Oh, okay. and, and she beat out his book, so... He beat out Storm of Swords, which is arguably his best book. So yeah, I, I, wow. I get a little bit of his point. It's it's a very prestigious award in fantasy mm-hmm. and and sci fi circles, and um, it's it's given out at WorldCon, which is kind of like the fiction sci fi fantasy um, convention every year. And, and George has been going to that thing, I think, since its inception in the seventies. So he he's very much a part of that and very much a part of that world. And and he I think found it insulting that she would win over what he thinks is his best work and, and not even show up to get the award. I think that that was... <laughs> and now job. we're going to yeah, list... We're going to list all the previous winners of the Hugo Awards. No. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I have that list. No, I don't. But <laughs> I do have the continuation of this chapter. <laughs> so um, Brienne's still thinking about Bitterbridge and she's thinking about how the defeat of Connington was the sweetest. Every blow to him felt like... Um, was sweeter than a kiss. <laughs> it's, it, it felt like victory. Yes. Loras was the last of them to face her, and he had the misfortune of bearing a shield with three gold roses. I love that Brienne thinks, you know, she didn't actually bear him any ill will, but unfortunately he has roses on his shield. Roses. Sorry, he No has- roses for Brienne, man. Yeah. Don't bring roses to Brienne. <laughs> <laughs> did you make like the Incredible that- Hawk. T- and did you mention that she totally, like, trampled over Connington, too? Yeah, baby. Yep. Yeah. I love. I love how. I love how Red Ronnet popped up in both of Jamie and Brienne's chapters that we yes, did he today. Sure did. So anyway, uh, that night um, in the barn, <laughs> she dreamt of um, of the fight and of Jamie fastening a rainbow cloak about her shoulders. Oh man, that's I, interesting. I really love that because you know, at first glance, you'll notice that. Yes, Jamie just replaced Renly draping a rainbow cloak about her shoulders, but what other Westerosi ceremony includes a cloak? Yes. A yeah, wedding cloak, especially after she's just <laughs> oh my God. her other suitors, you know, beating her other suitors in a melee. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I like it. <laughs> so the next day, uh, the rains of the evening have not stopped, but Brienne insists they press on despite protests from Nimble Dick. It's a miserable ride all day, and the rain never ceases. They make camp um, next to some rocks, and while Brienne attempts to light a fire with wet driftwood, Nimble Dick shares a story about squishers. Monsters with white belts. Squishers! Oh my gosh. Has Have any of y'all ever read H.P. Lovecraft? (laughs) No. 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 Okay. 
I loved H.P. Lovecraft in high school. I, I read all of the H.P. Lovecraft stories, but the squishers, the, the description of the squishers, um, they look like men till you get close, but their heads are, heads are too big and they got scales where a proper man's got hair, fish belly white they are, with webs between their fingers. They're always damp and fishy smelling, but behind... what you're saying is nimble dick yes. red to me. Love oh my gosh! <laughs> I, you can tell that G- George R. George R. Martin was a fan of H.P. Lovecraft because in oh, you his can stories, the there's the, these these creatures called the Deep Ones, and actually, um, they're seen in um, Dagon and the Shadow over In's mouth, and you can also tell in um, the Iron Moor the Ironborn mythos, where you have, like, um, the Krakens, and what is dead mm. may never die. Cthulhu, if you've ever heard of Cthulhu. Yeah. You can see the fan. influence of all yes. kinds of, uh, of other books and authors in George's writing. Have... It's very, very um, frequent in fantasy yes. novels. I just have to say, my sister would be mortified to be having lunch with you right now, Ian. <laughs> 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 Eon, Eon, you can have lunch with me anytime. Okay. <laughs> That's so funny. You know, I thought Eon was going to come uh, bring up the theory that Varys is a squisher. Oh, Which is a <laughs> theory? Are you talking about a merling? Stop the press. Oh, yeah, they think he's a merling. I forgot. Yeah, merling. It's way off the rails, guys. <laughs> <laughs> We're not going into this one. If you want to hear more about this, move on. Oh my goodness. Okay. okay. So, uh, Bruce to finally doze off uh, twice. The second time she wakes with a start, certain someone is standing over her. She then thinks of Jamie wishing he had come with her. But his rightful place was with the King's Guard. And besides, I love that. Red I love Angel. that. I love that she's she's not obviously that she, not just that she thinks of Jamie. Although obviously, I love that. It's that she she really wants him to be there, but she recognizes that you know he his his duty is with the King. Yeah. So she she wouldn't want a Jamie that would have followed her. Probably she's yeah you know, yeah sort of, but yeah. That makes sense. I wish yeah. JB would have come with her, though. Me too. I'm like, like I, a, I, I hope that they had come a together soon. Moving on. Just a moment, thinking of how she failed Renly and Cal, and and then the next day they come to the end of the road at a sheer cliff. Nimble Dick leads them up a stony path. As they go, Pod points down to a rider following them. Bran squints at Nimble Dick suspiciously. He claims he doesn't know who it is. They reach the top. And at the base of the castle, Nimbledick tells them they should keep moving. Brienne is still concerned with the rider behind them, but decides to move into the trees, as he suggests. The pine forest they ride into is spooky, giving Brienne the creeps, although she won't say so. Podrick, on the other hand, says it's bad here. He's worried about squishers and severed talking heads. Brienne gives him an annoyed look and says, no such thing. As they move deeper, they ride... As they move deeper into the forest, the more lost she feels. The ground is mucky like a bog, forcing them to make camp for the night. Bran's nerves are frayed. She's not getting much sleep at this point, and she's growing more and more suspicious of Nimble Dick. She's queasy with the thought that she might have to kill him. I love I love the role that Nimble Dick is playing in this chapter. I love this chapter period. I think it reads almost like a short story, really. It's, it's kind of like a tiny little adventure story on its own. Oh, but, you know, like Nimble, so yeah, but Nimble Dick is really playing this role for Brienne, which is um, 
how does she trust a strange man? And it's become a really big issue for Brienne throughout her story. And we've seen a lot of this happen since, you know, she, she left Renly's cap, camp with Catelyn. She has, you know, already had this terrible situation with the Bat and these guys who, who tried to trick her into sleeping with them, basically. And from there, things just go from bad to worse. I mean, the night before, after she had the dream about Jamie, she actually, when she woke up, thought that someone was standing over her, which to me is a pretty deliberate callback to what happened in Storm of Swords with um, her and Jamie when the three guys um, in Vargo's camp came to rape her in the night. Mm -hmm. Um, She has kind of like almost a feeling that someone's standing over her, which is kind of a looming feeling that reminds you of that. And then Nimble Dick throughout this thing is, you know, she's, it's, he's someone that she knows she probably shouldn't trust. But on the other hand, she's feeling like maybe she can. And he's a guy who straddles this line between, um, you know, some parts of Nimble Dick are really good. I mean, we get the feeling he's really not that bad a guy. On the other hand, he's also kind of a criminal. He, he's not good and he's not bad. And he's just a really good embodiment of what Brienne is having to face in her storyline, which is I think coming to terms with the fact that there are people who are good and bad and that she has to kind of accept them as they are <laughs> and not try to categorize people as good or bad. It's something she just keeps learning. I think that's really, really yeah. true. But I also think she really kind of had a little choice but to trust him, particularly the further along they got. But I do agree with what you're saying, Chicky. Oh, yes, I total yeah. accepting the gray area. And when she, you know, it's interesting when she describes, especially when he's in the rain, like you really, I really felt sorry for him. You know, just to see how, yeah. you know, she says he's he's hunched over. Like, she was so caring. You know what I mean? And when yeah, he's starving, she had, notices that he's yeah. very thin and that he's yeah. starving, I basically. Had a, I had a note about that. You also, not yeah. only is Brienne sort of coming to terms with Shades of Grey in this chapter, you also really do see her empathy come to mm-hmm. the forefront. Because despite all the crap that she's endured in her life, despite the fact that she has no self-worth she can't help but be kind to people to feel empathy for them and that is one of the things i truly love about brienne and that's her basic underlying character because you could think that someone would go through that and they could be horrible you know i mean that could make you a horrible person you know you could be bitter you know and she came through that and still being the way she is is pretty amazing Mm -hmm. absolutely oh Oh, we gotta move on because we got a bit of chapter to go through yet um We get a bit of a memory of her as a girl getting lessons from her old master at arms, Sir Goodwin. He had made her slaughter piglets and lambs to toughen her up, taught her hesitation in killing a man would get her killed. Um, The next day they ride out and finally reach a clearing where there's um, an ancient rundown castle. And this is the whispers. Brienne realizes the whispering noise is coming from the winds blowing through the caves and holes in the cliffs. Nimble Dick still maintains that the noises are heads. He points out that the cliffs where there used to be stairs and a cave for smugglers. Brienne has another moment of mistrust and tells him to keep his hands off her, thinking one shove and she'd be down there with the collapsed stones. They search out for a way into what remains of the castle and they find a gate with broken branches. So immediately Brienne is getting a bit suspicious of these broken branches and she tells Nimble Dick to come with her and Pod to stay with the horses. Brienne asks Podrick to bring her Oath Keeper. Nimble Dick is confused, as she already has a sword. She gives him the one she's carrying, and asks him if he knows how to use it. And then he brags a bit about his lineage. Um, so this whole chapter, um, as we've kind of recapped a bit, is about Brienne really not trusting this guy, and yet here she gives him a sword. What do you think that signifies? Well, I think it's a- um, uh- 
Yeah, it's Brienne coming to terms with the fact that, that there are people who, who may not be completely good, but who aren't completely bad either. And that sometimes you just have to rely on the so-so morality of someone in this sort of situation. I think that's a lot of the, the role that, that Dick is playing here. Mm-hmm. He's not also, good. I do have to say, she kind of is put in a position where she has to give him the sword as well. To, but you're right, she's relying on him to, to work with her rather than against her. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so as uh, Oathkeeper is being passed to Brienne, um, Nimble Dick, you know, gives a little whistle. And, you know, it's a beautiful sword. Um, inside the castle, the runes are the runes of the castle are overgrown with trees, including weirwoods. Brienne finds the remains of a fire from the night before. Nimble Dick starts calling out, "Hello!" <laughs> Brienne tells him to keep quiet, but he just keeps yelling out, "Hello!" Then suddenly, men are coming out of the walls. Dun, dun, dun. They're coming through the well. <laughs> they're coming down tree branches. Um, here, Nimble Dick calls out, and uh, he says, there's your fool you were looking for. Brienne knows these guys are the brave companions and tells Nimble Dick to come to her. You know, she wants to protect him at this point, which I thought was kind of nice. Um, she Shake- wants to protect everyone. Yeah. yeah. Shakewell drops down from the weirwood tree. He's dressed in motley and is carrying a morning star which he uses to shatter um, Nimble Dick's knee, then his face. So gruesome. Yeah, Yeah, he's dead at this point, pretty much. (laughs) The three men are pressing in on her, and uh, Shagwell is saying some pretty disgusting things that I will not repeat. Shagwell also doesn't know where babies come from. (laughs) (laughs) Shagwell, in case anyone forgot, is the guy who in Storm of Swords said that he wanted to rape his mother. I think yes, that's the one. That's the one. Uh, He's a gem. Anyway, yes. well, if you don't have a um, a clown phobia, you will after Shadow. Oh, <laughs> He's kind okay. of like, yeah. like He's kind of like a psychotic Ronald McDonald. <laughs> yes. That's hilarious. Anyway, Timmy and the Dornishman tells her about how Vargo's ear turned black and leaked pus after she had bit it. And that the mountain um, killed him piece by piece. Oh, this part was so gruesome that he hacked off, um, you know, a limb at a time off Virgo Hoat. And um, they would bandage him up so that he wouldn't die. And then they wanted to finish with his penis last, but they never got to that point as he got (laughs) called away. Oh, that was so gruesome. Anyway, Brienne tells them she's not here for them, that she's looking for Sansa Stark. Timian tells her it's the hound she wants. He heard from one of Beric Badondarian's men that the hound stole her. Bran thinks Timian is distracting her with his story and that they are pressing in around her. Timian tells her to drop the sword and they will um, they will go easy on her. Bran asks if she gives them gold, will they leave her alone? They seem pretty intent on raping her, regardless if she hands them gold or not. Bran's not having that and kills Pig first, cutting him in the leg and then stabbing him through the throat. And and she doesn't hesitate. She's been worried in this chapter that yes. she yes. she will. Her her master at arms had been concerned about her having basically the killer instinct and and uh, yeah, we maybe rightly so. Earlier. Yeah, Brienne we did has such it a... earlier, but it's, 
yeah. essentially Brienne thinks back to her master at arms, Sir Goodwin, who taught her how to fight, but he was really concerned that, yes, you have the strength, you have the ability, but you have a really soft heart. So what he does is he actually sends her off to slaughter some piglets and lambs, and there's this really evocative sort of poignant uh, moment where Brienne thinks about how after she killed the the baby animals, she burned her clothes and she was sobbing over them. So, you know, she is worried, as Chicky was saying in this chapter, do I actually have the capacity to kill someone? Can I do this? Because this is really the first time she's been truly tested like this. Yeah, and if people are only show, you know, show watchers, you know, this this part of the book is specifically addressing how this is her first time killing anyone. So, I mean, it's it's a pretty, Mm. you know, it's a pretty intense chapter. Yeah, as opposed to in the show where Brienne yeah. just likes killing dudes yeah. for funsies. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and she's obviously done it before in the show. You know, this yeah. is yeah. this is pretty intense stuff because you get some look yeah. at her psychology, you know, around how difficult this is yeah. for her. You know? and, it's so and we need to remember she is she's really young here as opposed yes. to in the show where yes. aged her up. She's still only 19, yes. so she's just yeah. a kid. It's totally a different brand in the show because, like, she hasn't even been at war in the show. So where would she get this opportunity to be killing men so callously? It's such a different Brienne in the book. It's interesting. I I don't understand why people would skip a Brienne chapter, especially this. This sword fight between those three guys is really good. It's so good. It's one of the best. It's one of the best, most intense sword fights throughout the whole series. Absolutely. And it's really, it's not just action. It is really introspective as well. Her thoughts are amazing. Yeah, so um, let's go into some of this action a bit. So after she kills Pig, um, she tells Timian to go ahead and, you know, throw his spear. And he's like, uh, nope, you go shake. So then Shakewell argues back, no, you get her. So it's like, it's almost a little comical. I love that they've just seen her, like, <laughs> slaughter Pig. And they're like, nope, back away, not today. Yeah, it's like, I think <laughs> she's taking her. Panic sets in. <laughs> taking her a bit more seriously at this point. Um, Brianna's- I love it that she's talking some smack, too. Yeah. Yep. Rand is thinking about how she has to kill one quickly, just as a stone hits Shagwell. Rand does not hesitate and goes for Timian. (laughs) Oathkeeper serves her well, and she's never been so quick and wounds Timian in the ear and face, then the guts. Mm -hmm. And as he reaches for a dagger, she cuts off his hand and thinks that one is for Jamie. Hell yeah! You go, girl. <laughs> With Timian dead, Brienne turns to see Shagwell on his knees. Podrick is pummeling him with rocks. I love it. <laughs> sorry, sorry. I know we're running late, and I just dropped out. I'm not sure if we covered it, but did we say? Did we talk about the line that Oathkeeper was alive in her her hands, and she'd never yeah. been oh. so quick? Because, you know, we talked a bit earlier about um, the story about uh, Sir Galadin and his magic sword. And here, Oathkeeper really is Brienne's magic sword. You know, it was given to her by Jamie. It's Jamie's sword in her hands and it's giving her this confidence that she usually lacks. It's fantastic. It is. It is. Um, so with um, Timmy and Dad, Brienne turns to see Shagwell on his knees. Podrick is pummeling him with rocks. I think I said that already. Anyway, he begs Brienne for his life. Brienne tells him to dig a grave beneath the weirwood. The grave is not for Timian and Pig, but for Nimble Dick, who was a crab. Brienne says this is his place. It takes all of the day for Shagwell to dig the grave. Brienne drags Crab to the hole and apologizes, sorry that she didn't trust him. 
With her back to Shagwell, she thinks now will be the time he makes his move. And then she hears Pod call out a warning, and but she's already got her dagger ready. As she drives into his bowels, she tells him to laugh. Repeatedly, she stabs in and tells him to laugh each time she does. Brienne sobs when it's done. Um, oh yeah, oh, that, uh, that line, you guys. That line. Can I can I say oh. the line? She said, "But Shagwell never laughed. The sobs that Brienne heard were all her own. When she realised that, she threw down her knife and shuddered. Ah, oh, she's got such a soft heart. She really doesn't enjoy killing at all. No. Yeah, yeah. It was. So pretty- you know, I gotta say, I know you're gonna love it a lot that I'm dragging this out. Uh, there's this theory that Brienne, uh, when she buries Nimble Dick under the werewood that she's making a, oh, yeah. a sacrifice. I actually know this theory. She's yeah. making yeah. a sacrifice? What? Yeah, that she's making a sacrifice yeah. to the werewood. Um, oh, and she, oh, oh my so, god. Okay. Yeah. This, this is something yeah. that we see in a Bran chapter. Uh, maybe it's mentioned elsewhere. I don't remember. But Bran has a vision of um, someone at Winterfell at the Heart Tree um, making a sacrifice with, I think, a copper knife. Um mm cutting someone's throat um, against the werewood tree. And the blood, I think, hits the werewood or something like that. And this is an old school, old god sacrifice to a werewood, a blood sacrifice. So there's this theory um, that the fact that Brienne is first killing these guys under the werewood, because you'll note that like they're pretty much all around a werewood when this is happening. A young werewood at that. A young werewood in, a, in an old abandoned castle, which is interesting because there aren't many young werewoods you know, south of the neck. Um, a young werewood, and she she buries uh, Dick Crab right underneath the werewood and throws in two um, gold dragons on top of his body. Yeah. Now, what this may mean going forward as far as the old gods or if this is real, I have no idea. But there is kind of a theory that she may have been making a werewood sacrifice here that will help her later on. That's cool. You know, That's we should really say, so presumably, cool. it, presumably <laughs> she's making it inadvertently. She doesn't know yeah, what she's yeah. doing. She has no idea. No. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I just thought I'd mention it. You know, that's really interesting. That's like really interesting because there was wasn't there like this unreleased chapter for later on that was never released about Brienne actually being hung and then uh, am I just imagining I'll tell you what it is. No. Um what it's called the Russian the Russian release of a feast of souls. Yes, um, yes, Brienne yes, is actually yeah. short a chapter. Her last two chapters in the Russian release of a feast for crows are combined and they're very, very different mm. from what we get in um, the release everywhere else, and it's it's pretty well understood that these were two draft chapters that then George completely changed later, um, and they involved like a, a flock of ravens, I think it was, uh, showing up yes. to the BWB and ca- the Brotherhood without banners encampment, um, right as Brienne was about to be hanged. Pod and Pod and Hyle are not with her. They really don't question her too much about Jamie and really don't give her an opportunity to redeem herself. Um, they just intend to hang her. Um, and it's a it's a very different feeling chapter. She really doesn't think about Jamie much. <laughs> it's it's a very different yeah. huh. version of the story. But yes, um, so you're there saying... is some there is some theorizing that that there may be some play here. Yeah. So there might be some crows coming in in France next chapter. Maybe. Hopefully, so. it, it may be something that was put off for later. That's kind of the theory. Oh, yeah. I've never heard that. Thank you for that. That's awesome. That's wow. very cool. Yeah, I like that. I was totally yeah. zoned out just listening that whole time. And like the, the best thing about it, it's the epitome of Brienne that she would make that grave, you know, make that happen because she didn't have to do that. No one's around to see Absolutely. her do that. She did that because it was the yeah. right thing to do. 
and oh, she does, and she threw the money on there because it was yes. a thing to do. She, so she, it was, the point was honor. That's exactly it. She's keeping her promises as she does. Right. So if she's rewarded for that, like in this, you know, sort of unintentional way, that's perfect. That's, that's perfect. Yeah. I love it. Anyway, it's a great hero. I like it because it means Brienne might be saved and that makes me happy. <laughs> Brienne might live forever. Yay. <laughs> okay. So anyway, after they put Crab into the grave and she's tossed the two gold coins and we hear laughter sounding out behind them, Brienne rips out Oathkeeper expecting more bloody mummers, but instead she finds Heil Hunt. Um, he was ordered to follow her by Randall Tarley at Randall Tarley's command. He asks her what she plans to do about Sansa. She tells him she plans to head to River Run, that the Hound has her. Hyle says, he'll kill you. Bran replies, or I'll kill him. Then she asks for his help to bury Crab. No true knight could refuse to beauty, he says. And they bury Nimble Dick. And that's the end of Bran. Oh, I will say this, though. Timian has pretty much told her that the Hound has Sansa. Mm-hmm. And what she doesn't know is that was actually, no, they saw the, ha- the Hound Arya. <laughs> so she's yeah. going on this really old trail of Arya. And Arya's now on a different continent anyway. And when we see <laughs> Brienne with Jamie again, she says yeah. the Hound has Sansa. Um, yes. So is she lying to him or... Yes. Yeah. Yeah. She knows. Yeah. There, there's. It doesn't work. There's no possible way that she actually thinks that the hound has it. Yeah. Okay. You know what's really sad? Like one last thing. When she marries him, she says, "I'm sorry that I never trusted you. I don't know how to do that anymore." And I think that's tremendously sad. Uh. (laughs) Okay. Um. Well, on that note. Let's go to the thank yous. (laughs) And Eon, I believe you might have those for us. Yes, I got some thank yous. Okay, the first one we have is from Math Camel. Um, It just starts out with, hello, caught up now. I adore your show. And she actually wrote us an extremely long message. And I just (laughs) wanted to say thank you, Math Camel, for the super long message about Randall Tarley. You made some very interesting, well-thought-out points, and we really loved hearing them. And thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. (laughs) Thank you, thank you. Thank you. Next is from Cynically Romantic. She says, hey, ladies, once again, I just wanted to say thank you for all of the hard work y'all have put into this podcast. This really is the highlight of my week, especially since college has started again. I listened to last week's episode on my way to class and got strange looks after I burst out laughing at YD's exclamation over Brienne always thinking about Jamie. I appreciate the healthy debates as they address the many issues in Westerosi society. Once again, looking forward to the week's episode. This week's episode, as always. That's so nice. Thank oh, you. Thank you. Thanks. Next is from Quizzical Quinia. I hope I I didn't butcher that. <laughs> Quintet. Quintet. <laughs> but um, just like says, you're in with the piglets. <laughs> oh god! Oh gosh! Now I need to burn my clothes now, huh, Chicky? <laughs> okay. She says. I've just caught up on all the podcasts, and I can't remember the last time I've laughed so hard while simultaneously fangirling. I listened at night with my head buried under the covers like a kid, 
in a fort so I wouldn't wake up my roommate up across the hall. I listened during my commute on a ferry, buried in the darkness of my car while creepily staring at napping people in hopes they wouldn't notice my black (laughs) smirk. Listened in the middle of a of day at my mom's and she thought I was texting a guy because of my spawn. <laughs> Thanks to you all for such an entain- entertaining and informative part of my week. I love that. And I like a lot. I love hearing people tell us where they listen to I the know. podcast. I know. <laughs> favorite thing ever when people tell us, yeah, I was in the grocery store, I was on the bus. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was I was at the we... gynecologist. <laughs> <laughs> so that's where we podcast. <laughs> our gynecologist right now. <laughs> I'm not not even drunk, you guys. Not even drunk. Uh, lots, lots in the stirrups as we speak. <laughs> okay, we did get a, an iTunes review from Canada. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> from Alias SD6, um, titled, titled Fun Times, a fun oh. podcast to listen to with in-depth, in-depth discussions about the books and show with a focus on Jamie and Brienne and horse metaphors. <laughs> <laughs> the ladies have a blast and it's infectious. I look forward to the new episode each week. Keep up the great work. Okay, so I have a oh, question. Oh yeah, thank you. Thank oh, you for that. God. I know what's coming. Uh, I just have a question. Do we have any uh, reviews from Australia, Eon, this week? Guys, <laughs> guys every, week, every week that we don't get an Australian review, Lot throws her wine in my face. <laughs> <laughs> Last but not least, I wanted to thank a couple of the artists that have done some some podcast-inspired fan art for us. One um, came in from L from B L J dot. (laughs) I love it when he unreads his names. (laughs) It's the best. I love that one. Is that the one where Jamie was in the back? Yeah, that's so good. Love it. So good. Thank you so much, you guys. And uh, we also had wa- Wonkins. Wonkins. Yeah. Wonkins. Yes. Thank you, Wonkins. Thank you. Yeah, guys, the fact that you draw art based on the silliness of this podcast is so amazing to us, and we love you guys so much for it. We really do. You don't want to know how much squeeing we do behind the scenes. Yes. We love it. We really do. <laughs> I would really like to see a pin, see some fan art of well, Brienne beating up Harry Potter. Or if I was to do one, it would be Ronald McDonald climbing up. Oh. That <laughs> creepy jingle bell hat. Oh, man. And in color palette number three. <laughs> I'm, never having, I'm never having McDonald's again. <laughs> All right, so is that it for the thank yous? That is it. Okay, if you'd like to send us some comments, we will read them and then giggle over them. Um, <laughs> you can do that at Gmail, so it's close the door and at gmail.com. You can also drop us a line on Tumblr at close the door and come here.tumblr.com. And we're pretty active on the JB boards, so you can um, message us there at jamieandbrienne.com. And if you'd like to be a guest, let us know, because we are looking for more people to be on the panel. Um, And I think that about covers it all. Thank you for podcasting tonight, ladies. 
Thank You're welcome, you for dude. <laughs> I'm sorry, I, was, I had a little wine tonight. I might have been a bit off. <laughs> no, no, love you're great. We love you love this way. Never stop drinking. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Good night, everybody. We love you. Bye, everyone.